Let me pray. We'll jump in. Lord, thank you for uh, our time together this morning. Uh, thank you for each person who's come. And I pray that you would use this to encourage us as we think through the issues of doubt and assurance that uh, we would see the confidence that we can have even in, as we fight through our doubts uh, because as we look at your character, who you are, what you've done for us, and especially at the cross, uh, we know you have declared your love for us and set your affections upon us because you have redeemed us and made us your own. So would you assure our hearts of that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start uh, this week in talking uh, about doubt and assurance. We're going to continue on kind of more in the doubt part. I know everybody wants to get more to the assurance part, and they are you know, mixed up a little bit. I've talked some about assurance, but um, we're going to talk more about assurance in the next three weeks. I want to finish talking about doubt a little bit. I want to start with a quote that I didn't get to last week by Os Guinness. He says, No one who understands the pain and perils of doubt can be indifferent about it. Loss of trust in God is truly life's ultimate loss. But such is the nature of faith in God through Christ, affirmed by countless Christians through history, that there can be a constructive side of doubt. True, there is no believing without some doubting, but since belief strengthens as the Christian understands and resolves doubt, we can say that if we doubt in believing, we nevertheless also believe in doubting. And I think what he's getting at there uh, in in a much better way than I probably said last week is that doubting is normal. It's part of it. We don't have to be fearful of doubt, afraid of doubt, or ashamed of doubt, and yet none of us want to doubt. We, we all want to be assured of, of anything. I mean, it's, it's true in, in all of life. No one wants to, to, uh, to doubt what, you know, your, your, your financial situation, your health situation. Uh, when you're driving down the road, I use that illustration you know, we want to be sure of our decisions uh, that we make on the road and what we're doing, but especially when it comes to faith. So while we may strive to doubt our doubts, as one song suggests, we don't doubt that we do doubt. Did you get that? Uh, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs is a line from a, a Switchfoot song from back in the 90s. Uh, doubt your doubts. And, and the artists were getting the fact that, that you know, don't, uh, uh, you know, in a sense, what we've been talking about, use doubt to, to discern truth, question your doubts, but believe your beliefs. But at the same time, we don't doubt that we do doubt. We don't, we don't you know, go through life, uh, oh, I never doubt, you know, or a mature Christian would never doubt, or, you know, when I get mature, I'll never doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. So if doubting is a part of faith, then we need to use our doubts as a way, a tool, as we discussed last week, uh, to strengthen our faith. You know, to, to use the, the, uh, the language of, doubt, of fighting our doubts, I think, is appropriate. I, I don't think, you know, it may sound like a misnomer since we say doubting is normal. Why do we fight our doubts? But I do think that's, that's a way to talk about it. I like the idea of fighting through our doubts. Uh, a little bit different picture there with the notion that we're not just battling doubt, but the, it's the idea that we're getting through it, we're moving through it, there's a forward progression. But whatever we call it, 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 it's the idea that we don't simply tolerate our doubts or accept them or cozy up to them or wallow in them. We have to uh, use doubt to discern what is true so that we can grow in assurance and be strengthened. 
Uh, we talked about some of the reasons that we doubt last week, some of the things that uh, kind of prompt doubt, uh, and they're every struggle we can imagine in life that we come up against. But what are the things that we actually do doubt? Now, I'm not talking about in general, but when it comes to matters of faith, what are the, what are the biggies? What are the things that we tend to doubt when it comes to matters of faith? Just say it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. His his mo hasn't changed. You know, he still does it the same way. Um, you know, just causing us to question. What else? Do Christians ever doubt their salvation? It's okay to say that, right? <laughs> we, we can say that. There are times. Okay. Yeah. So what are we doubting when we doubt that? The fact that God has saved you, right? The fact that he's declared you righteous. Because none of us are enough in ourselves. We know that in our sinfulness. But in the sense of what you're describing, that we've been made children, that we've been called loved, that he has, again, set his affections upon us. Yeah. So it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we not only doubt our salvation, but we doubt things like God's goodness when life doesn't go well. Uh, we can doubt our security, uh, not just in salvation, but just in general, our, our safety in general. Is God going to protect me? Uh, our future hope. We can doubt God's power. We can doubt God's sovereignty, his unending love for us, our righteousness in Christ our complete forgiveness. There's a lot of aspects, several aspects that we can doubt where we might not say, I'm doubting my salvation. I I believe I'm saved. I I know Christ has me and he will hold me. But in moments we can doubt various aspects ultimately of God's character. And it comes back to what you both said is, did God really say, has God said, did he, are his promises true? And while we may not, Look at it that simply in the moment. Those, that's ultimately what we're coming up against. The reasons for this are what we talked about last week. It can be, I mean, we can make a whole list. When we, when we suffer uh, or when we experience pain, uh, physical infirmities, uh, when we uh, have financial difficulties, when life changes, when someone dies that we love, um, temptation, persecution, being deceived by other people or conflicting information or just waking up in a fog of doubt. Sometimes it's just that simple that we just kind of wake up in a, in a funk, as I said. The point is that there are innumerable ways that, that, that can kind of provoke us to doubt. So the question then becomes, how do we deal with our doubting? And that's what I want to look at today. Um, 
one of the ways that, that you might think about this is tax season is coming upon us. And I know that it's the delight of so many in this room to participate in that annual ritual of filling out your tax forms. If you, if you do it yourselves, now if you take it and have somebody else do it, it's not quite as stressful because there's a sense of confidence. Uh, and that's what we do now. But there were years that I did my own. And there was a certain stress that came with that of, you know, going through the boxes. You know, originally it was going through the boxes and doing the math because you had to do all of it yourself. And so you would doubt, did I do it right? Did I answer the question right? Did I understand what the question was? Did I realize what, what, what was being, you know, asked there? And then even after the software comes out, you kind of doubt the software. <laughs> you know, I got put everything in, but is it, did it do it right? Because you know once you hit the submit button or once you mail it and drop it in the, you know, remember that feeling when you dropped the, the envelope in the box? It's gone, you know. Uh, what's going what's gonna to happen now? You know, it, was it done correctly and so forth? And the, the way that we overcome the, the doubts as we go through an experience like that is we go, we read the rules. If we're filling out the box and we're looking at the question and we don't understand the question, we go and read all the the, the, the tax laws and maybe understand it, maybe not. But we try to, uh, to, to get it to overcome the doubts that we have about whether we did our taxes right or not. And if it was simply a matter uh, in, in matters of faith of doing the same thing, then all we would need is more information, right? With just the right information. If we just had the right information or the right amount of information, then all of our doubts would disappear. And someone would hold conferences <laughs> and sell books and say, here's all the right information. All you have to do is buy my book and come to my conference, and you will never doubt again. But it's, it's, it's not like doing taxes, is it? Uh, it's not that simple. And so how do we fight through our doubts in matters of faith? Well, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Jude, and we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. Uh, Jude, there's only... One chapter, so there's, it's, it's kind of chapter one or it's no chapter at all. But Jude is, is a very short uh, letter that was written by Jude, who is introduced as the brother of James, who is likely the brother of Jesus. So Jude was the youngest or younger brother uh, of Jesus. Yep, no, it's all the, way, all the way almost to the end. So Jude, verses 20 and 21. This is what he writes. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So I want to look at four things that, that, are, that are here in this verse or these two verses uh, that I think we can benefit from in fighting through our doubts. And they are love, build, pray, and wait. Now, before we look at that, I want to point out that one of the things that we should keep in mind is it's not just in Philippians 2, but, the, but Philippians 2 is a great illustration or a great uh, rather example of this tension that we see in Scripture where we're called on to strive, to labor, to work, and to fight, but then we're told, but it's God who works in us. That's what Philippians 2, 12, and 13 says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so there's the call to strive and to labor. We're not just, we, don't, we don't just sit back indifferently and say, you know, let go and let God kind of thing. Uh, we, we do. Uh, we, we fight sin. Uh, we, we, we seek the Lord's uh, uh, you know, fruit of the Spirit in our lives and so forth. Um, 
but we recognize that it's him who is doing the work along. Keep that in mind as we look at this passage in Jude. This isn't just a matter of, these aren't four steps to overcoming doubt in your life. Okay, don't, don't hear it that way. Uh, but rather, four things that, that we can uh, meditate on and seek as we seek the Lord's uh, assurance in our own lives. So, the first one, love. Uh, that's what Jude calls the believers here, beloved, uh, loved ones, loved of God. And then he instructs them, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so the very first thing that we, we, we start with, and it, I think it is the very first thing to begin with in the fight against doubt, is our identity, our condition, our status, who we are as children of God. Uh, behold what manner the love of, or the behold, now say I'm trying to sing it, uh, the, the, the love of God is given unto us that we should be called his children, First John. Um, the fact that God has made us his children, that he has demonstrated his love to us, it's it's almost something that's worth kind of looking in the mirror, not, you know, maybe Stuart Smalley-esque if you know who Stuart Smalley is. But looking in the mirror, nobody knows who Stuart Smalley is. One person knows who Stuart Smalley is. Two people, okay. Uh, you can go to YouTube later and then you'll laugh and realize why I said Stuart Smalley. But looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, God loves you. You're loved. And that sounds cheesy, probably feels cheesy, and most of us may not do that. But that is, if we go and look in Scripture, and we look at Scripture as a mirror reflecting back to us, that's what Scripture declares of us. Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. First uh, John 3, one, the one I was trying to sing, See what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And then in four, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so there John not only declares God's love for us, but also shows us how we can know God's love in that Christ has died for our sins, that we look to the cross as the declaration, the, 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 the signed uh, piece of paper that declares that this is true. God has loved us. Scripture is unquestionably clear of God's love for us as his children, that we are his beloved. And so Jude is instructing us here to come back to that truth. It's foundational, but it's also something we have to come back to because we tend to forget it or we tend to doubt it um, or we listen to the voices in the world or the voices in our own hearts that tell us it's not true. But you are his child. If you are trusting in Christ, you are God's child. And he has made you his own. Paul, when he's uh, closing out the eighth, eighth chapter of Romans, he has that, that verse, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he goes through the whole list. And the whole point is that you know, it's, it's designed to cover everything so that we understand there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Your doubts can't change your status as beloved. Your sins, the things done to you, the schemes of Satan, physical harm, your feelings, nothing can separate you from his love. I remember once Sproul was talking about nothing in a different setting. I can't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't this verse, but you know, he, he, he just kept emphasizing the word nothing. And he said, so what's left? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you know, there's, it's the idea that there's nothing can separate you from God's love. So whatever it is in that moment that you feel has separated you from God's love, nothing can separate you from God's love. 
nothing. There's no thing that can separate you from his love. And so reminding yourself of that. Again, the, the, the proof is that we look to the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we have gospel amnesia, when we forget what is true about us in terms of what Christ has done for us, uh, we return ourselves. We start with and we come back to again and again the love of God. The second thing Jude mentions is build. And you might think in terms of spiritual growth here. He says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. So starting with our identity as loved children, he then says we're going to build on that. I think building is a great word picture here uh, to describe how we grow in grace. I think as we, we don't always feel like we're being built up in the moment. You know, Lord, what are you doing? You know, I don't, I, I want evidence. I want proof. I want to see something. It's usually when we look back. Uh, if, if you ever journal uh, or write things down and you can go back and read what you were thinking and dealing and struggling with, you realize, okay, the Lord has done a work in my life. And not that you weren't, I mean, in some ways you might have doubted less when you were younger in the faith, but the doubts that you had, you look back often and find, at least my experience is that they were often trivial uh, compared to where you are now. And the, the idea is that as God you know, is building up in us, he's strengthening us and he's taking us deeper. So like building blocks being placed on one another, as the building grows, so our faith grows. That's the picture that Peter uses as well. Uh, in Second Peter, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that list? What are those synonyms of? What does that list sound like? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, not, it's not, not every word here is a synonym for the fruit of the Spirit, but several of them are or the same. Uh, and so what, what Peter's describing is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, again, this, is not, this isn't Peter going, hey, you guys, get out there and, and, and do these things, but recognize that strive, work, that tension of Philippians 2. Uh, but this is what God is producing in you. Uh, as you. As you strive and you work, he is building these things up in you. Uh, and so... Not a works righteousness, but yet there is this picture of activity or effort or whatever. Again, you know, in our minds, we tend to go to, to poles, you know, the polar opposites. And, um, and that can be, you know, problematic, whether if, if we think that we, you know, work and earn our salvation, we know that's wrong. At the same time, you know, the, the let go and let God, we just sit back and just let, let, let stuff fall on us, you know, like God's going to do it all. Um, he is doing it all, but yet he calls us to work to engage. It's this mysterious thing. And so when I use these phrases, I find myself um, sometimes over-correcting or over-specifying, and, and I don't want to do that too much, but I just want to be sure that we all understand this isn't, this isn't works righteousness. At the same time, I can say that one antidote to doubt is service, getting busy serving. A lot of times when we spend too much time being introspective, navel-gazing, wallowing in doubt, which we can all do, uh, it tends to worsen. 
It, it doesn't, that, that's usually not what causes it to get better. But when we get outside of ourselves and serve others, there is a, a joy that's beyond explanation that can come. I'm not saying that this is the antidote to doubt. Don't hear that. I'm just saying this is an example of of what the fruit of the Spirit or Peter's list here that is our synonyms of the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is others-focused. You th- Think of all of those things. They're, they're born in us, and they certainly are a part of us and affect us, but others always experience them. You know, even our joy and our peace that we think of more internally uh, true joy and true peace bears fruit, it shows. People know it. But definitely goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, all that is others-focused. And so, and I don't remember who, who said this to me, but it was, I, I remember getting this advice um, as a young person about just some, some days when, when you wake up and, and, and you just don't feel, just, just go get busy, find something to do, find some, some way to serve, uh, engage, look outside of yourself and I feel like that is you know, something that I've seen the fruit of in, in my life, that uh, when I tend to, to, to wallow in, in, in pity or doubt or anything, that getting outside of myself is a way to uh, serve as an antidote to these things. And often as we do serve, uh, we get to see the fruit right in front of our eyes. You ever experience that? You know, you're you're having a bad day, and then you realize it only gets worse as you, you walk through the church doors, and someone reminds you you have nursery duty. And, um, and then you go in there, and, you know, a little baby changes your, your day. You know, <laughs> it just, something happens, and you realize that what you were worried about or whatever, uh, it just is carried away. Um, so, in many ways, uh, you know, fighting doubt can be, um, it can be a mental or a heart issue. I, I don't want to say that it's not that, but it's, it's not simply that. Uh, sometimes we have to, to engage and to, uh, to work out our faith with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us. So sign up for nursery duty. This is not a plug just for that. I could say many other things. Find a way to serve, right? Uh, do the dishes. Uh, pray for someone else. Take someone a meal. Give someone a call or text someone. But f- put your faith to work to fight doubt as you remember the truths of the gospel that you are loved and redeemed, forgiven of your sins, and are now equipped to love and service as Christ has loved you and laid down his life for you. And so we follow that, that example of our Savior in laying down our lives for others. All right, so that's part of the building process, the growing process. The third thing that, that Jude mentions is pray, praying in the Holy Spirit. If I had a nickel for every time I've complained or stressed about something only to hear Leslie say, have you prayed about it or let's pray about it, I'd, I'd be a rich man. I can honestly say that. I'm ashamed to say that it's not always my in, instinctive first reaction when stress comes. I, I find much greater pleasure in stress. You know, stressing, worrying, talking about it, talking about how all the things will go wrong. Uh, this is only going to get worse. You know where this is going. You realize what's going to happen rather than just stopping and praying. And from the people that are laughing, I can tell I'm not the only one uh, who's done that. So I feel a lot better um, that or I have something on my chin. No, we we um, uh, yeah, we do. We, we enjoy kind of uh, or we can enjoy uh, really stressing out about things. And that's, that's, um, it's almost like the pleasure we can get from gossip 
or, or other types of sin. And I'm not sure categorically what's going on in our hearts, but we need to be wary of that and, and be careful of that. But our, our first reaction ought to be that we run to the one who has saved us. If he loves me and he has said and declared that he does not only in word but in deed, and he has told me, cast all your cares on me because I love you, then that ought to be my first reaction when doubt comes up or any other stressor in my life. The problem is, is when we doubt, prayer is really hard. When we're doubting God's goodness, when we're doubting his character in any respect, prayer can be really hard. And so one of the things that has been helpful to me in these times is just to to pray very simply. Help. (laughs) God, help. You know, um, uh, pray with more honesty, you know, kind of strip down the, the phrases and the, and, and the things that we cling to or run to so, so quickly when we pray. Um, I believe, help my unbelief, you know, the, the, the example in Scripture of uh, just admitting I'm angry. I'm really angry about this or uh, I'm really discouraged about this or I'm really envious about what this other person is experiencing. And I don't understand why you never seem to give me a break. Tell him. Pray to him. Um, another, uh, another great helpful tool is, is praying back the promises of God. You have said nothing will separate me from your love or you have said you will not allow me to be tempted beyond my ability to resist but will provide a way out. And the Psalms are also filled with tons and tons of examples of this kind of honest prayer. Uh, we, we don't, you know, we, we really don't pray as honest as the psalmist did. Uh, we, we tend to, to, to uh, you know, set up more safe boundaries for ourselves. But look at the psalms and realize not just the questioning, uh, but even at times the, the, just the straight-on doubts about what God would do uh, or, or, or really even who he is. Uh, now, the psalmist never ends there in doubt. That's one of the beauties of the psalms as he always uh, preaches the gospel to himself and he returns uh, to the truth. That's part of the process. That's part of the be- being built up. And it's part of the way that prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit, is designed to carry us, that we can go and we can lament and we can cast all our cares upon him, but then it brings us back to the truth. Another thing to remember about prayer is that even when we're at a loss of words, Scripture tells us that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And sometimes it may just be about that, just calling out to the Spirit to intercede for us. And and we remain in silence, trusting that, that He will do that. The fourth thing that Jude tells us then is wait. Wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. I think waiting can be the hardest thing. Uh, because what we're ultimately waiting on is for the doubt to disappear, and sometimes the doubt doesn't disappear. And so, and plus waiting is just hard. (laughs) None of us like to wait. I think we've been conditioned in our current culture and time in history to to wait even, you know, think about how we prepare food or how we get food. I mean, we don't have to walk outside, find something, and stalk it kill it and skin it and gut it. And, you know, I mean, we just, we're just we mad because the microwave takes a minute and 40 seconds to heat our breakfast sandwich. So we're, we're, this, is, this makes it even harder on us when it comes to waiting. Psalm 52.9 says, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good. So when it comes to waiting, what the psalmist does for us here, and this is just one of the many examples that we can look at, but he tells us that 
basically, even though waiting in this life can, can at times seem futile or pointless, waiting on God is never futile. Why? Because he's good. Waiting on God is never futile because he's good. And here he makes this connection for us, which again, I think is very practical between thanksgiving and waiting. We can give thanks because the psalmist says he has done it. So we look back at God's character. We look back in a sense at his track record and we see what he has done. As we look back, especially to the cross, we see with clarity that he shows his love to us in Christ. And because we can look back and see his faithfulness, then we can wait with expectation. So another, and again, I'm always careful about giving these examples. I want to be practical, uh, but I don't want, want anyone to hear uh, I just need to go out and serve, and then all my doubts will go away. So I'm just emphasizing this again. I want to say that again about this, another practical example, but one of the ways that can be helpful uh, when we are doubting is what we see here in the psalmist is, is giving thanks. I've become more and more convinced that thankfulness is an antidote to so many things in the Christian life. We're not, I don't know that we're, I don't really know. There are times where thankfulness just springs out and it feels natural, but there's a lot of times where I need to really stop before I can be thankful and consider what God has done and is doing. And a lot of times it's helpful, like if you're married, you, you know, you can, you can help each other in this regard. If you're, if you're single, this is where we, you know, you, you need a, a friend that can help you with this, that can speak truth back to you, that can, that can, you know, remind you of God's goodness, but also that you can do that for them, that you can speak of the thankfulness that is in your heart. Uh, giving thanks to God causes us to remember all that he's done. It moves us outside of ourselves, outside of our situation, to remember the goodness of the Lord. Um, again, not suggesting that it's some kind of magic pill, but thankfulness is an antidote to so many things, including doubt. So Jude is helpful here, instructing us to remember God's love, grow in our faith, pray in his spirit, wait in thankfulness uh, for all that he has done to demonstrate his love. He then follows this verse. We're not going to look at it, but if you're still there, you can see this. And he says, have mercy on those who doubt. God doesn't command us to do something that is contrary to his character. And so we can safely say that God, too, has mercy on those who doubt. We see several examples of this in Scripture. So one of the ways that we can be mindful toward showing mercy toward others, as, as he mentioned in the previous verse, uh, is, is to remind ourselves that God has been merciful to us. Uh, to, 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 to the one who has, you know, if you think of the, the parable of Jesus, the one who's shown mercy uh, is, is more inclined to, to, uh, to show, uh, to be more merciful toward, toward others. And so remembering that God is merciful to us. I know all of us struggle in different ways. We all kind of have our different bents in terms of how we, we view God or, or what kind of our default is. But I know uh, it's a struggle for a lot of Christians to really not see God as merciful, to rather see him as the kind of gotcha God. Uh, you know, he's, he's always look, looking to, to get you because uh, you blew it. You know, you missed it. You, you, you failed to do it. You didn't meet the mark. And now I'm going to get you. And we're... Oh, <laughs> 
It's so true. But in the sense of God's reaction to us when we are constantly missing the mark is, again, looking back to the cross, mercy, that we have been forgiven. You know, if, if, if we looked at the cross as something that we had to earn or something that we had earned or something that we had to somehow deserve, then this whole mercy thing would kind of be out the window. It wouldn't really be mercy. And, and if it was something that we, we only got some of the time, but we didn't get all of the time, then again, we kind of could toss mercy out of the window. But it's, it's not that. Mercy is all the time for every sin. If you're in Christ, His death for you and for your sins was for all your sins, including the sins that you have yet to do, including the ones that you continue to trip over. And so there's this idea that... that um, you know, we can really be harsh on ourselves. And, and I, don't, I, I don't mean to say, hey, be lax against sin or, or whatever. We need to fight sin. We need to kill sin. But in terms of the consequences of sin, we cannot bear that. That is what Christ has done for us. He has borne our sins. So mercy is something that because we have been shown mercy, we need to show mercy toward others. We fight against doubt to the point that we should not be consumed by it so that we can also help others not be consumed by it. It's still a part of our growth in faith. It's still a tool for understanding, but we fight against it or fight through it. One more thing I want to keep in, us just to keep in mind as we think about this uh, in terms of knowing the truth. Uh, what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.8, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a challenge for us in our day as believers because we have access to so much knowledge. We have access through, I mean, you think about it. We could, if we wanted to, all day long for free. And if you wanted to pay, you could, you know, get access to any more. Sermons, audio books, reading books, blogs, um, podcasts. Uh, we, we just have this, you know, unending amount of information flow. And so the challenge for us is that we can possess a lot of knowledge. We can gain a lot of knowledge. But as Peter points out, it may not always keep with this fruit. It can become ineffective. It can become um, ineffective and, what's the other word he uses? Unfruitful. So... We can know theology, we can know doctrine, we can quote verses, we can quote confessions, we can point out errors of false teaching in other people. But a number of the reasons that when we go back to our list of why people doubt, it's because of the way they have been treated by others. You've been sinned against, you've been wronged, or you have witnessed someone doing something. Think of the world's, I mean, we've all heard this excuse from an unbeliever. I don't ever want to come to church because of what? It's full of hypocrites, right? And I always say, and so is your house and everyone else's house in the world. You know, right? We're, we're all hypocrites. Everyone is. But, but the, there's an indictment there that is, I think, helpful to us in that um, we, we need to be serious not only in fighting our doubts for our own sake, for our own hearts, but we need to be serious about not contributing to the doubts in the hearts of others by being unfaithful, by lacking gentleness, by being unkind, lacking self-control, being joyless, loveless, or living as if we have no peace. 
I think this is what a, a part of what Peter is getting at when he suggests we can be ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of Christ. If we go back to Jude's instruction of living as loved ones, growing in faith by serving, praying in the Spirit, and waiting with thankfulness, our lives then become this fragrant aroma that other people can smell in a good way, uh, can smell and, and see and savor and taste and know and see that the Lord is good. But it's not only true for unbelievers, it's also true in the household of faith. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives can play a significant role in strengthening the faith of other believers and causing their doubts to flee. When we witness other believers trust the Lord through suffering, when we see others serve Him with gladness and give thanks even when they're wronged or their bodies fail or their children stray, our faith is strengthened and our doubts diminish. One of the benefits of not forsaking the gathering together as we're called to do each week, is that we get to hear each other sing. We get to hear each other pray. We get to hear each other confess the same faith that we're confessing. And there are some weeks where we need to be the the louder voice because someone else needs to hear it, and there'll be weeks for sure that we need that louder voice around us so that we can hear those words to us. The community of faith is a gift to all of us as we live our lives together as beloved children of God, growing and serving, praying in the Spirit, and waiting with thankfulness as one body. So one way that you can have mercy on those who doubt is by engaging in the life of the church. And I'm saying that to people who are in Sunday school, which are not the people who need to hear this. (laughs) But I'm saying it anyway, uh, because we do all need to hear this. Um, we, we, we need to be involved. We need to be connected. Come to worship. Pray for and pray with each other. Spend time together. Share a meal together. Give to help others. Speak out the thankfulness that's in your hearts. And one day, as I said, it may be you who needs to, to, to be doing this, and another day it may be you who needs to receive the benefits of the church in our gathered worship and living life together in a community of saints. So practical ways then that we can kind of get at doubt, keep it in mind, be merciful to those who doubt. Jesus said, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Uh, We see the mercy of our Savior in, in, uh, in the way that he came and the way that he died and what he did for us. And we be, you know, I, I'm, I know I've done it. I know I've done it. I know I've bruised and, and broken bruised reeds. I know I've, I've, I've probably put out smoldering wicks in my, you know, uh, arrogance or in my callousness or in my indifference. Um, and I don't want to do that. You know, I, 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 I do not want to do that. Um, it's so easy for us to become puffed up in our knowledge uh, as we grow in Christ that we become ineffective and unfruitful because we end up being unmerciful toward others. So may, may we not do that. Yes, grow in knowledge. Seek knowledge. You know, it's, it's the second thing. Know that you're loved, build and grow. Uh, but then as you're praying in the Spirit and as you're, you know, giving thanks and waiting on the mercy of Jesus, realize that you have been shown great mercy. So know that there are others that you're going to come into contact with who are waiting on the mercy of Jesus. They may not be where you are today, and you may not be where they are tomorrow. So show, show mercy. Let me close out with um, 
I think what is a good summary statement Paul, that Paul gave to Timothy. We usually think of this as being spoken only to pastors, but I think it's applicable to every one of us, not just young Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So in that verse, it's the idea that we, you know, we're fighting for our faith. You know, we work out our faith with fear and trembling for it is God who works in us. But then there's the, also the picture of in the presence of many witnesses. So we're, we're, we're not islands unto ourselves. We're, we're called to be a part of the community of faith. And when it comes to fighting doubt, it matters how we engage in the body life of the church. Not just to unbelievers outside, it certainly does, because our testimony is important to unbelievers out there. But, but right here, in, 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 in our gathered worship, it matters uh, to the building up of the faith of others, to encourage others and to dispel doubts. And one day it may be someone else. One day it may be us. We all need it. And so may we fight the good fight uh, in this way and take hold of the faith. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you, um, you, you, you've given us your word and in it we find just incredible insight into who you are. Uh, it's not so much about having the right information, although information and knowledge are important. We recognize that. We need it. Uh, but what we see here is who you are and what you have done for us. I pray that as we go, that it, what, what rings in our ears and what, what remains in our hearts is not anything necessarily practical or, or, or some step that we need to go do, as helpful as that may be. But what really resounds in our hearts is that you love us that you have set your affections upon us, that you have redeemed us, and through that redemption have made us your children, uh, adopted sons and daughters, for, for, for whom nothing can separate us from your love. And so through that, Lord, would you assure us in our doubts and then use us to, as we build up and grow in the faith, Lord, become that testimony to an unbelieving world, but also to believers, uh, that it would strengthen the faith of others, that it would dispel doubts in others' hearts as they see us walk with you, love you, and trust you through all the ups and downs of life. So I pray that you would do this for your own sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.